right? There's more. Now, the hard part with us understanding what more means is he is already all complete. But we're not. We're a work in progress. And so as we realize who he is and what he wants from us and what he's put in us, what he's won for us, what his desire is for us, uh, especially for us in the West, this is a, this is a difficult uh, collision course for us as we, as we decide, am I, am I really all about me and my stuff, or am I more about him and his stuff? Because if I'm more about him and his stuff, then there's more for me. But if I'm only about me and my stuff, that's kind of the only means to the end that we have. And we spend way too much time worrying about me and my stuff and not worrying about him and his stuff because his stuff is eternal. His stuff goes on. His stuff is blessed. His stuff brings life. And our stuff usually is so small and so weak and so finite that we get caught up in it. And and that's the reality. This morning, if you can grab, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you can grab a hold of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, uh, this is the TLT, the Tony Loose translation, uh, that says something like this. You got to stop fixating on what the world does and allow yourself to be transformed by renewing your mind. You want to know how Jesus is going to change your life? He may take some things out of your life that you've been stumbling on, but the reality is what's holding most of us back is right in here. And when you realize that there's more, see, we, we get this as we're younger. I, I've been a coach for, for many years. Uh, I, I don't do it currently, but uh, I think it was interesting. I had the opportunity to spend uh, a couple of days with my oldest son, and we were talking through some of this, and, and, and I asked him, I said, isn't it amazing how he's, he's uh, 30 now? Isn't it amazing that, you know, when you were in high school and you thought football practice and getting, you know, maintaining a 2.0 grade percentage just so you can play. That seems so tough. And then you get out of high school and then you get into the military and you realize you had a lot more inside of you than you ever thought you had. And then you get married and you realize there was a lot more in you than you ever thought that you had. And then you had kids and you realize there was a lot more in you than you ever thought that you had. And then you go through some hard times and you realize there was more in you than you ever thought that you knew. But the only way that we experience it outside of that passage of actually renewing our mind is we have to go through the pain of realizing that thing didn't kill me. And there is more inside of me. I didn't die from that thing. But we want to be comfortable. We want to keep backing up. We don't want to face these things. But if this morning you can grab a hold of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says you can't be conformed to this world. Don't let it press you as a weak person. Don't let it hold you back. But be transformed, actually changed by the renewing of your mind. Not going to church, not reading this, not listening to great music. All of that stuff is is good and it can be edifying. But I'm telling you, the key verse in the Bible for us in our world today is we have to change our mind to think like Jesus. We have to line up our life to be like Jesus. If we want to be Jesus followers, then it would be good for us to think like him and act like him. Because you notice what he didn't worry about? He didn't worry about who was going to be the next emperor. He didn't worry about, is there going to be enough food? He didn't worry about, hey, 
are my clothes fashionable? He didn't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. What if maybe... But those are the things that you and I spend an inordinate amount of time and a lot of our brain power and energy on that don't make any difference at all. And if we'll get a hold of that this morning, then, then I hope that as we read this passage and understand that there's more, because whoever you are this morning, if, if you've been saved for 30 days, 30 years, uh, 30 seconds, it doesn't matter. There is more in you than you can possibly even begin to understand until you can change your mind to see like Jesus sees and begin to act like Jesus acts. And I'm not talking about being God, but I'm talking about getting a handle on the fact that he has already cleared away everything and he has more for you. There is more power in you. There is more praise in you. Some of you, and I'm going to be a little bold this morning, some of you, you haven't even begun to praise. You've stood and you've sung, but you've never really praised. And there's more in you. And you want to unlock some of the joy that Jesus says is possible? You've got to learn how to praise and you've got to learn how to worship. Not you and not a song, but him. Some of you, there is strength in you. The reason that your life is falling apart is that you are weak on the inside. You keep trying to be beautiful and do all this stuff on the outside, but it is all on the inside. You keep giving in. You keep backing up. You keep falling into the same trap, and you ask yourself that question. How did I get here this time? How did I get here this time? How did this happen again? The reason is not circumstances. The reason is not that nobody cares. The reason is you have to change your thinking. You're stronger than you think. You can say no. You can maintain your standards. You can be a godly person. You can say no to those things that keep wrapping you up and dragging you back. You can. There's more prayer in us, church. And not those piddly little, Lord, I need more money at the end of the week prayers. I'm talking about the prayers that actually get his attention. Prayer that's actually in line with his will and his word. Prayer that is others-focused instead of self-focused. Prayer that will shake the heavens because he's like, wow. Not because of beautiful words and not because it was some hour-long process, but because somebody stepped up and said, God, I'm going to trust you at your word, and I'm praying for There's more. There's more resilience in you. You think that you've been defeated. It's not over. Yes, you've lost a spouse. Yes, your marriage is in trouble. But there's more in you. Think of what Jesus says. That's why I frame this out with that passage uh, of understanding where our minds are. Now, this is what Jesus says. Greater is he that is in you. So you know the verse, right? Than he who is Now, there's two people in the world that you're fighting against. One is you. (laughs) For many of us, the biggest person that we have to overcome is the person in the mirror because it starts with our thinking. And secondly, we have a very common enemy. Now, he can only be at one place at a time, but it doesn't mean that there's not a system. In fact, the Bible, Jesus reveals that there are many antichrists in the world, people that act like there's no God and don't want anybody to act like there's a God. But you have to overcome you first, and the way you overcome you is renewing your mind. You're still thinking like you used to think. 
And if you're still thinking like you used to think before you met Jesus, you're stuck. And I don't want you to be stuck. And it's not about like the the commercial. It's not about getting bigger, better stuff. You don't need a seven-foot belt buckle, right? But how about faith? How about perseverance? How about a life that glows brightly for him instead of revealing the dark things of the world that we seem to embrace and we copy? How about that there's more in us to intercede? How about there's more in us to serve? How about there's more in us to give? How about there's more in us to stop thinking about us so much and start thinking about other people? I shared with a friend this weekend. I look around and it's too easy to say, oh, the world is just a mess. But something in this last year is changing me. I look around and you know what I see now? We have a lot of work to do. And I want you to get this this morning before we even get into the text. This is the pre-preach, I guess. You can't save everybody, and that's not what God's called you to do. You can't heal everybody, and God hasn't called you to do that. But you can put yourself in a position to have the opportunity. Because where you live, where you work, where you go to school the couples you hang out with, the activities that you engage in, all of those are opportunities, but you won't see them as opportunities until you renew your mind. And I've shared way too many stories with you. I hope that you get this someday. I don't go to Walmart because it's the best place to shop. I go to Walmart because it's a place of opportunity. I actually go into McDonald's. It's easier to go through the drive-thru, but I go into McDonald's because there's people there and it's a place of opportunity. And my job is people, and your job is people. Your job is not to try to get through this life with some escapism, just hoping that Jesus is going to come back any day soon, because even if that's your goal, think of what you've got to give an account for when you stand before him. Think of all the missed opportunities. What about that person I sent to you? You didn't have time for him because you had to rush off to... What about this person that was hurting and you said, well, I'll pray for him. And and yep, you prayed for him, but you didn't actually physically, tangibly help them. What about that person? What about that person? And things we're not even going to see. And that's what makes me realize we have a lot of work to do. The world is not much different than when Jesus walked this planet. Because it was full of people and it was full of problems. But the difference was he saw the people and he made time for the problems. And we're trying to reduce as many problems and we don't want to deal with it and we don't want to do that and I've got to get home and I'm telling you what, nobody's going to care how much Netflix we watch. Nobody's going to care how much social media we post. Nobody's going to care at the end of days that stuff is not going to translate into eternity. That's the stuff of the here and now that just bogs us down. That's why we have a lot of work to do. People are already starting to realize, hey, digital connection is not really connection. Those people are not your friends. The people that don't friend me on Facebook but show up when I move, that's a friend. And we're going to see that Jesus understood this very well, and that's why I'm saying we have to renew our mind. And it doesn't mean getting smarter. It doesn't mean going back to school. It doesn't mean an education or a degree. What it means is that we have to start lining ourselves up with his word. And when we read it, we say, wait a minute. If my opinion and my view is different, then guess who needs to change? 
me. And when I begin to think differently, I'll begin to act differently. And when I begin to act differently, I begin to make a change. And you're going to see this great story in Mark chapter 5. I'll have you turn there with me right now. Mark chapter 5. Because church, I'm telling you there's more. And there's, there's a, a great, I mean, I could, I could preach on the there's more type of a theme. I'm not going to continue this for months and months and months. But I hope that you get this this morning because if each one of us will realize who we are and what we're capable of, of then imagine what can happen in our communities and our neighborhoods and our schools. Instead of us acting afraid, instead of us acting aloof, instead of us acting like, oh, it's Monday now, I'm not a Christian. Now, I'm not, I know you don't say that, but the question is, are you still on mission when you leave this place? Do you still see that there's people out there who are still following Christ, or are you following a world plan? That's a good question. Because there's more for you and there's more in you than you ever possibly could imagine. And this type of thinking begins to activate our faith that helps us to move past where we've been. And this type of thing actually positions us closer to Jesus. When we think like Him, it positions us closer to Him. You see, that's the big difference of people that followed Him and didn't. Because the people that couldn't think like Him, they got caught up in, in what He was doing and why He was doing it. Oh, I can't believe you did it on a Sunday. And they were out. But they failed to see, you just healed a man that had been crippled all of his life. And what did they see? Oh, you did it the wrong time. Thinking problem. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And it's going to be a lengthy passage this morning, so bear with us. And I hope that you've got your Bible so that you can see this again and that the Holy Spirit can quicken you as you read this. Here's, here's this, incredible, this incredible story. So Jesus has been traveling, and he just got finished healing a demon-possessed man, which is pretty impressive. So he gets back into the boat, and he went back to the other side of the lake. There was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, he arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now, I'm reading between the lines here only because I do the study. You probably don't, but here's the reality. The synagogue leaders of those times were under uh, a lot of pressure because Jesus was on the scene, but the Pharisees who kind of ran the religious world did not like Jesus. And so everybody that was in position of power or at least could lose some power were kind of under the threat. The the Pharisees of that day were kind of like the mob. They would come with these little, well, oh, I see you let Jesus into the temple. Oh, I see you're one of those Jesus followers. And they would put a pressure on them. Well, here's Jairus that I can only imagine uh, was a good man. We don't know much about him. But he's also a synagogue leader. And I'm sure that every other day, he was not in the mix because you don't hear his name. He wasn't a normal follower of Jesus. But guess what made him approach Jesus today? A need. Okay? A need brings him to Jesus. And I would imagine that, notice that his little girl is on the verge of death. He didn't come when she's two days sick. He didn't come when she'd been running a fever for a while. He comes... And so as I read into this, 
You're my last hope. Now he's desperate. Because if there's any other way, and some of you this morning, that I could just stop right here, and this is your story. You wait to come to Jesus until everything is already at tragedy level, and then you wonder why your life is a mess. And that could sound condemning, and that could sound judging this morning, but let me also say this. Today could be the day that all turns around. Today could be the day that you say, you know, I'm not going to just wait for the next bad thing to happen. I'm going to start following Him today, before my life is a mess, before I need it, before, I mean, right? That's why we, that's why we change the oil in our car before you need it. You know you're supposed to do that, right? That's why you add t- air into your tires before they're flat, right? So for some of you, this is the first step in you renewing your mind. Your life has been arranged and ordered and you're doing just fine and you don't have a big need for Jesus. Your prayers are pretty small. You're not thinking about other people. You're, you're not even praying that much about yourself. Your prayers are just kind of dutiful. But the reality is you need to have the relationship for when the mess does happen. Because then it's too late to try to develop the relationship. Then it's too late to try to activate your faith. Then it feels like it's very forced and very plastic. And I'm telling you, you need the relationship now. You need the friends now. You need the small group now before things get bad. You need to be involved in a church way before you have a desperate, total dire need. You need it before so that the enemy doesn't mess with your mind and your emotions. He comes and he pleads, look at, he actually falls at his feet and he says he's pleading fervently with him, please, 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 please with sugar on top, please, my little girl is dying, please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Now what's amazing is he had obviously witnessed Jesus do this before, but he was not following Jesus. He was standing back and watching, and so he knew this guy's got something, but I can't publicly endorse him. I can't be the guy that follows him, but when the need comes, I'm desperately going to run to him. And we're going to see this strange, what I would call a big word juxtaposition in this, in this passage as we're going. So here's a man that doesn't want anybody to know <laughs> that he's... Uh, believes in Jesus until it's too late, and yet we're going to bump into a situation where we understand that there's also a, a young lady here that doesn't want anybody to notice her, <laughs> and yet Jesus does. So here we go. Please come and heal her. And so Jesus begins to follow him, and all the people follow. They begin to crowd around him. Oh, wait, we get to go see a healing. This is going to be incredible. Let's go watch him heal Jairus' daughter. And a woman in that crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. So look at, she tried other things, she tried other methods. And over the years, look at this, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. And we could talk about people in the crowd this morning. This is your story, whether it's physical or spiritual. You've tried everything but Jesus, and it's cost you, and it's cost you, and it's cost you. Can I tell you there's more this morning? And you don't have to keep that up. Today can be the day that you make one decision, that you decide to change your mind. I'm going to follow Jesus before things get bad. I'm going to follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to follow Jesus because he is God. I'm going to follow Jesus 
Not because the crowd's going that way, not for the spectacle, not because of any other reason, but I'm going to follow Jesus because I need Jesus. She'd spend everything, and in fact, she had only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. See, look at the difference. She doesn't want anybody to know what she's doing. And there's some cultural norms that are being broken here, and, and we don't have to go into that. But she's hoping that nobody notices. Jairus is hoping that Jesus will notice him and come and heal his daughter. She's hoping that she'll get healed without anybody noticing. Look at the difference in this story. It's our story. It's the human story. There are people that they don't want to be noticed. They just want it fixed. And there are people that I don't have anything to do with Jesus until I have a need. And then, then I don't have a problem coming out for Jesus. She thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. So Jairus says, you have to come touch my daughter, and I'll be healed. And, and I see kind of the arrogance here, and it's like I said, I'm going to be a little bold this morning, so hold on. I'm not bringing my daughter to you. You come to me. Think of that attitude here for a minute. Jesus, you come and fix my life. You come and deal with my stuff. I'm not inviting you in. I'm not bringing my life to you. You come to me on my terms, in my time, in my... And then there's the woman that says, I'm just hoping against hope. I hope and believe he doesn't have to touch me. I don't even need him to look at me. He doesn't have to lay hands. He doesn't have to pray. I don't have to be anointed with oil. I don't have to go to the synagogue. I'm just believing by faith, that if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. She touches the robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. She felt something changed. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Amazing. She didn't have to have somebody confirm it. She felt that she had been healed Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. Now, why hadn't healing power gone out from him for Jairus' daughter? I'm sure we could find five different ways to explain this. But it's interesting that it shares right here that healing power went out from him for the young lady. And the woman that didn't want to be noticed, the woman that was hoping to just sneak in, get healed, and go away, gets the opposite. Okay? Now, here's Jairus. What's happening with his girl? She's dying, right? Do you think he wants him to stop? Do you think he wants there to be any delay? especially for something that's not fatal. This has been going on with this woman for years, right? She's still alive. And yes, it's a terrible condition, but isn't it amazing that Jesus thinks differently than how we think because he doesn't have a limit of time and place. He knows exactly what he's doing and when he can do it. 
we get caught up in the time. We're a lot like Jairus. I got to rush up and demand. I got to, Jesus, you got to fix this. I, have, I got rent due in three weeks. You got to pay this. Jesus, I got this need. I got this problem. I got, I got this woman. I, you got to fix this. And a lot of pressure. And I can tell you this from being in dire situations. Jesus didn't give one hoot about the crowd. Or Jairus didn't give one hoot about the crowd. He didn't see anybody else. He didn't care about any of those other people. You know what he was thinking about? My need. Get rid of Why are you stopping to talk to that woman? Why are you... Come, she's dying. Jesus is the master of helping us see what we don't see because he realizes that there's more going on than what we understand. There's, there's more to this situation. So he turns around in this crowd. He stops and he says, who touched my robe? And the disciples who didn't realize that there's more, they only saw people, right? They only saw what they saw. How can you say who touched you? These people are crowding all around you. A thousand people touched you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Now, I understand that this is, this is a story being told. Jesus knew exactly who touched him, right? If he didn't know, then we've got a real problem with the story, don't we? But what he's really doing is trying to draw out of the woman her faith, right? He's trying to show a story for you and for me that those of you that have timid faith that are afraid to follow Jesus publicly, this is an opportunity because guess what he does? This woman's frightened, right? A, she shouldn't have touched her. B, she's in a crowd and she's unclean. She shouldn't be there. It was the wrong time at the wrong place, the wrong moment in the wrong details, She's trembling at the realization of of what had happened to her. And she came and fell to her knees in front of him and told everything that she had done. Now think about this story that she just told. All this crowd is watching, right? The crowd is watching. The world is watching. This spectacle is unfolding. Jairus' daughter is dying, but all of a sudden Jesus stops and is talking to this woman in the crowd and, and gets to hear the testimony what happened? I've had this bleeding problem for decades and I've gone to all these doctors and it's only gotten worse and, and I pushed through the crowd and, and as soon as I grabbed a hold of your robe, I felt the bleeding stop and I felt like I was healed on the inside. And instead of the crowd saying, oh, this is going to be good. It's time for a stoning. Because that's what should have happened. He addresses her with such an incredible phrase, especially after what we sang this morning. He didn't say woman. (laughs) He says daughter. Daughter. Again, this is for the crowd. The woman had already been healed, right? She's not waiting for this prayer. It it had already happened. This is for the rest of us. 
This is where you've got to understand that there's more in your life, that as you're walking through life, there's more that the world can see in you and through you. There's more of your story, more that you need to share, more that people need to see. Look at daughter, your faith has made you well. I want you to go in peace. Nobody here is going to harm you. I, I know you broke the cultural norms. I know you should have declared yourself unclean. I know you shouldn't have touched me. You, you definitely shouldn't have been here in this crowd right here and now, but I want you to go in peace. Your suffering is over. I don't know how long it took for that little drama to unfold but I'm sure those minutes were agonizing for Jairus. If you've ever had a family member really sick or in an accident and you haven't been able to hear what's going on, every second, every minute can feel like a lifetime. Jairus' baby girl is home, dying as they speak, and Jesus is wasting time on some other person that they aren't even dying. But to Jesus, he wasn't wasting time at all. Because to him, I don't believe that one need is any greater than another need. He sees that he's the cure for all of our problems. (laughs) And he'll fix it when he fixes it. And it'll be just fine. Verse 35, so he's still speaking to her, right? He's still saying, go in peace. Those words are still hanging in the air. And a messenger arrives from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they come and they tell him, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher now. Just let the glow of that healing moment happen and just go back and, and prepare. Now, this is what's interesting said, but Jesus overheard this conversation, right? I believe because of this, in my mind, the the Bible becomes real, and I see the pictures uh, almost like a comic book, and I can see somebody whispering to Jairus, don't don't bother to teach her, it's too late. And as he does that, I can just see the countenance and the body of Jairus that was full of desperate hope kind of drop and slump, and he begins to turn to walk away. He's going to go home to prepare to bury his daughter. Says, but Jesus overheard them, and he says to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Right? I think Jairus had figured it's too late. He got distracted. There was other needs. There is this big crowd, and and yet he says, You don't have to be afraid. Just have faith. Now I want to stop right here for a second and ask you this question. Will you just trust by faith, not because of my words, but because of God's word, that there's more in you and more for you by faith? When it seems like something's dead, can you decide not to be afraid and just have faith? When it seems like things are only getting worse, can you trust by faith? When it seems like the crowd is bigger than your need and it seems like Jesus isn't paying attention, can you just trust by faith? Because that's what he's saying, right? Because it's her faith that made 
her well. There was no magic in his robe. There was no magic in her prayer. In fact, we don't even know that she prayed. All she did was say, if I can just touch his robe. And there's all kinds of sermons that try to explain it of what his robe was and where she touched it. And and again, all of that is just our imagination because the Bible doesn't say any of that. We begin to fill in the blanks to tell the story. And I think that's great. We, We should listen to those stories. But I'm telling you, there's nothing mystical about this. Jesus knew her need and Jesus met her need. That's the story. That's your story. That's my story. But we also have to believe that there's some principles here that we have to be people that think differently. Or we could have just said, imagine this story. If she said, I'm just going to stay at home. And if he's really God, he'll show up at my place and heal me. If he's really that good, then there'll be a revivalist that comes through town and I can go listen to him and he'll heal me. If he's really God, and we begin to put out our terms because that's how we think, instead of realizing how he thinks. And when there's more, and we realize there's more, we want to be in proximity to Jesus because where he is is where stuff happens. And he even talks about this. For himself, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say, look at this. He's just saying, when God begins to move, I get in on that. And when God says to speak, I get in on that. And when God says to wait, I get in on that. And when God says to pray, I get in on that. The problem is that keeps his focus off of him and puts the focus on God. But the problem with us is when problems happen, we focus on us or our problem. And the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. We've got a God that fixes problems. And instead of focusing on God, we focus on the problem. And if we're not careful, and somebody needs to hear this this morning, you deal with that problem long enough, pretty soon... You are the problem. You're the disease. You're the situation. You're the addict. You're the, this is something happening to you. You weren't created that way. You weren't designed that way. That's not how God wants it to work. But you have demented, destructive thinking. And now you think, and then it goes a little bit farther. And pretty soon, you're not so much the problem. People are the problem. If my sister wouldn't have, if my dad wouldn't have, if those people wouldn't have, if if that church wouldn't have, if that pastor wouldn't have, if, and people become the problem, you're encountering what every other living human being is. There are situations in our life we cannot control, but we've got a God that can speak life and speak health and speak light. And we've got to get a hold of that. That's where there's more. There's more than what you're thinking there is. There's more for you. There's more in you. There's more going on in that situation than you realize. We're just seeing the photograph, and he's seeing the full high-def color movie. But we just see the frame right there. And then we question how. Oh, don't bother him anymore. I've already prayed for a month, and nothing happened, so I'm done with this church stuff. I'm done with this Jesus stuff. And he would say to you this morning, 
There's more than that. There's more than you putting a time limit on me. There's more than you thinking of only yourself. There's more at stake. There's more people around you that need to see your faith. There's more people that are going to be impacted than this than just you and your small need. And I know that's, that can sound highly judgmental, but God is the one that can put planets into space. Our needs, our small. Now, it doesn't mean they're not important, and it doesn't even mean that they're not urgent, but our needs are pretty small compared to creating a universe and gravity and the tides and the weather changes. And if he can control all of that, how big is our problems, really? They seem big to us, but remember, like I shared last week, that little beetle that was smaller than my thumbnail... (laughs) To him, I seemed huge. I can't even imagine how he could fathom God. But are we any different? Then we've got the enemy and sometimes the people around us that take our small problems and turn them into mountains. They push them up in front of us and they keep pushing them up and pushing them up and that small problem over time becomes unbearable, undaunting. This is the crippling thing and God's like, that's... It's a gopher hill. (laughs) Don't be afraid, just have faith. You see, if we can get this in our mind, then all of a sudden we realize life can function at a different pace and it's not dependent on me or my feelings, or even the circumstances. I remember going through a difficult time in my life. This is before I was married. I'm I'm in the service. I'm going through a a selection process, and it's day in, day out. It's it's really just physical punishment to see who can take it. And everybody there is in shape. Everybody there has muscles. Everybody there signed up. They volunteered for this. Nobody is forced to do this. But pretty soon you start to see the people that begin to drop out because of the mind. They're not being asked to do anything that anybody else is not doing, but pretty soon, how much more of this is there going to be? Tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And all of a sudden the time begins to weigh up, the tiredness begins to weigh up, the excuses begin this is not worth it. I am too tired, I am too sore, this is too hard. But many people before me and many, many people after me managed to survive that, just like many of you. You think that it's unbearable, and yet people before you and people after you have walked through that problem. And nobody said it was easy. I haven't said that at all. But it's our excuses and our thinking that begins to back us out of the incredible faith that Jesus Christ has, the incredible healing that Jesus Christ has, the incredible life that we could have in him, but we're afraid to push past to a little bit of pain, a little bit of time, a little bit of waiting, a little bit of changing, a little bit of this, whatever he needs to do, because he is the master at knowing exactly what you need. And sometimes it's our faith that grows in the midst of those problems and pain that puts us in a place that we're closer to Jesus than we've ever been. 
But we back up from that is I'd rather be distant from Jesus than have some pain. I'd rather not have to deal with that. I'd rather not have to confront this. I'd rather not have to talk about that. Instead, he's trying to say, hey, let's break down this threshold. Guess what? You're made in the image of God. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know all about you. I know how you tick. I know what your weaknesses are. And if, and if you can trust me. And that's what helped me get through that selection process. The day will end sometime. <laughs> and instead of letting it total up, we've got five weeks of this, you just take it a moment at a time, right? And for some of you, you get that. You just take it, it's another step. It's another push-up. It's another cargo net. It's another run. It's another doctor visit. It's another time of talking it through. It's another time of being on your knees, on your face, praying. It's, an, it's another... And it's not that Jesus isn't there, but he's building in you something you can't even see that you won't go back to where you were and how you were. It changes your thinking. And you can call it brainwashing, whatever you want to call it this morning. But the reality is that was really the journey he was taking these 12 guys on. I, I can do everything I'm doing without you. But I want to change your life. And that when I'm gone, you can take over where I left off. You can be the people whose brains have been changed. You can be the people whose faith has been activated. You can be the people that believe in miracles. You can be the people that don't see what you see. You see what could be. You tell me this morning. You look out at College County. What do you see? A bunch of problems, a bunch of this, a bunch of those people, a bunch of that people, a bunch of... Or do you see what I see? There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people that need what we have. There's a lot of families that need hope. There's a lot of people that need faith. There's a lot of marriages that need repair. There's a lot of kids that need some healing. And it can maybe feel overwhelming, but it's not my job to fix it all. It's my job to walk through it with faith and to look for opportunity. And that's your job too. Because the reality with Jesus, if Jesus is God, he could have just said, everything's done. No more needs. Right? And every person on the planet would have been healed. There would have been no more sickness, no more sin. But isn't it funny that he wanted to make sure that you and I became different people? And he says, you've got to stop conforming to this small, limited, backwards, dark thought process of the world. And you've got to be transformed. You've got to be changed. And the way you get changed is renewing your mind. And that's the hardest place for us to go. I'd rather change my behavior, but I'm telling you this morning, you won't totally change your behavior without changing your mind. You can do it for a little bit of time, but pretty soon you've got to change your mind. Here's the rest of the story. You don't have to be afraid, just have faith. And he stops again. Good God, what is up with him? <laughs> He stopped the crowd. Listen, don't miss this part. He stops the crowd, right? 
And he let everybody, and he wouldn't let anybody go with him except who? Peter, James, and John. So James and John are brothers. Now these are not, as uh, my old head coach would say, he was, he was the master at these weird, what we call the youngerisms. Peter, James, and John were not the sharpest cats in the drawer. He would say stuff like that all the time. Peter, no formal education. James, all these guys are fishermen, right? These are the guys that have all mouth and no brains. But they're also the people that act. Peter's the one that acts. John and James are the one that says, we want to be the top. We want to be the top guys. We want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Really? All right, I can use that. He grabs these three guys. They come to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And for those of you who don't know the culture, this guy is rich. And in those days, they actually paid weepers. How would you like to be a paid weeper? Huh? I think there'd be a big business in it today. I mean, I look at online and social. I think people would be great weepers this morning. Oh, she was such a good kid. Oh. And the more weepers that you had and the louder that it was, the more it showed their love. Isn't that amazing? Here's an extra hundred. I want you to really scream. Oh, she was so good. She died so young. Now today, that would seem so out of context, wouldn't it? Today, especially in our Western world, especially in our West Coast, it's more, dude, chill out. Wear the black if you got to do that, but, you know, kind of keep your grief to yourself, would you? It's kind of, kind of embarrassing. But for them, they are carrying on. I mean, there's a huge commotion. There are people wailing and gnashing and tearing their robes and throwing ashes, and this is a big, big deal because a synagogue leader has suffered loss. But I want to remind you that there's more than what you see, more than what you hear, more than what seems to be at work. Came there, much commotion, weeping and wailing. He goes inside and he says, what's with all this commotion and weeping? She's not dead, she's just sleeping. And as so often happens when you suggest that there's more than actually going on, read the next line, verse 40. See, this is what happens when the crowd encounters the cross. This is what happens when a world of disbelief meets somebody that has faith. Verse 40 says, and they rushed right in and said, oh my gosh, you're right. How could we have missed this? I can't believe that we thought that she was dead. She's just sleeping. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us know. Not what my Bible says. Now, isn't this funny? Remember what they were doing when Jesus showed up? Wailing, weeping. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Now, what are they doing? Isn't that funny? Wailing to laughing in, what, a microsecond? <laughs> Crowd laughed at him. Look what he does. I'll put out all the, in one of the original languages, I'll put out all the mockers. Those of you who don't have faith, those of you who don't see what I don't see, don't need you here. Another teaching point right here. Some of you, this needs to be a cleanup time in your life. You need to put out the people that keep dragging you back to the weeping and wailing of your old life. 
For some of you, you've got to put out the people that don't have belief. I'm not saying you cut them off and that they're dead now, but I'm saying you don't need those people in your life until you can handle those people in your life. For some of you, you've, you're spending way too much time with the wrong crowd. And I'm not talking about that you're going out and doing mortal sin, but they are not building your faith. They are not helping you with your relationship with Christ and helping you with your relationship with your wife or your husband or your kids. They are living a world system and they are dragging you down. They are mockers and they are laughers and they need to be put out of your life until you see that there's more. Jesus didn't have a problem with those people, but we have a problem with those people. They begin to influence us. They begin to drag down our faith. They begin to make us laugh and scorn at the things that Jesus would not say, this is no laughing matter. And Jesus would say, this is the time that we should laugh. Why are you crying? That's the problem, is he sees what we don't see. He sees that there's more. This isn't just a death problem. I've got the power to take care of this. There's more than this. But all these people, they're a distraction. Get these wailers and whiners and laughers out of here. Made them all leave. He takes the girl's father and mother. I mean, they're invested, right? They want her back more than anything and the three disciples into the room. Third and final teaching point on that is, some of you, you need to get rid of that crowd, and you need to find that two or three you can depend on to help you with anything. You can't keep going it alone. You can't face the crowds by yourself. You're not Jesus. We need the twos and the threes. We need the small group experience. We need the people that help us when we step in to face death, hell, and the grave, that somebody is there with us, somebody that says, I'll step up with you. I I may not be the smartest, but I'm stepping up. I got faith. Let's go. We want the Peters that say, I'll get out of the boat. You just, just call. Come on. We don't need the seminary training people. We don't need the people with high intelligence. We don't want somebody to debate with us and explain things to us. You know what we need? We need somebody to step up and say, let's pray. We need somebody that steps up in our life, the twos and the threes to surround us in the midst of our problems and say, I'm for you. We got this. And even better, God's got this. They remind us that God's got this. But you keep isolating yourself, you keep trying to go it alone, you keep thinking, well, I've got enough faith, I've got this, I've got that. And then you're the one that comes to me and says, Pastor, I know what I'm doing. And I'll say something like this, hey, have you talked with your small group? I'm not in a small group. Why? Uh, why are you trying to go this alone? Why are you doing it on yourself? Do you, does that not, not sound like arrogance to you? Selfishness to you? It should If Jesus took three guys with him, now, did he need the three guys? And for those of you that are spiritually strong, think about this. You maybe are the person that needs to help encourage two or three more people. Maybe your life is going just fine, but there's people around you that aren't. And we're not put here just for us. We're put here for others. We are inheriting an other's first kingdom, and we only think about us. It's not what Jesus called it to do, so don't call yourself a follower of Christ if it's only all about you and you're trying to go it alone. You need other people, and if you're the smartest one in a group, then encourage the other two or three. Crowd laughs. He calls the disciples in. He lays his hand on her. Isn't this amazing? This is so opposite what happens in our medical world. He doesn't grab the child and say, so how long has she been dead? Has she been dying a lot lately? 
What's the symptoms? Maybe we should send her for a CAT scan. Have you tried this medication? Have you done... You know what's interesting? He makes physical contact, and then he speaks to the problem. Amazing. Amazing. See, when we go to the doctor today, he does everything but speak to the problem. He talks to the, the symptoms. Or he asks a bunch of questions, like, to find a way to get out of it. And for me, medicine is not about finding the easiest way to get you out of the office. He says to the girl, Talitha Kum, which is nice that they translate this for us because we don't speak that language. Look what he says. Little girl, get up or arise. Right? No big show. Doesn't have to get a loud voice. He doesn't have to get out the oil. He doesn't have to have this big, weird, mystical. He just grabs the little girl by the hand. He says, basically, Tony's loose version, hey, wake up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and began to walk around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Now, who's in the room? Mom, Dad, and... And they were all amazed. Guess what? Did Jesus need them in the room? But after that, do you think that maybe Peter, James, and John realized, dude... That thing he did with the bread, that was pretty cool, but this? Says, my version says they were overwhelmed. What? No. Can you believe? Can you believe what we just saw? She was dead. No life, no breath, no skin color beginning to fade. She's, she's gone. And all he does is walk in and grab her by the hand and says, hey, wake up. No fasting. <laughs> no big, long prayer. In fact, he didn't even pray. Isn't that amazing? You know why he didn't pray? He didn't need to pray. He prayed all the time. He knew that there was more. He's the one that understands the resurrection. He knew it was going to happen. And they still didn't get it because on resurrection day, none of them are like, he healed that girl. I'm waiting outside the tomb. Here we go. Three, two, one. Nobody. They didn't get it. So maybe you heard this morning and you still don't get it. It's okay, but this could be the day. We realize there's more than what you've been walking through. When you go to work tomorrow, there's more that you can influence. There's more for your faith, more than just you, more than just the needs you see. There is more. And sometimes we just have to get a hold of it and speak to it. I think it's interesting that he gets a hold of the young girl and the, the lady gets a hold of him. What's more in your world this morning? 